Blog Talk Radio. And welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on IBM TV and uh, Big Mind Entertainment, the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM, Chapel Hill, uh, and Carborough. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. Uh, you could have been doing something else, but we appreciate you uh, checking in uh, to this show. I want to bring in my guests. Always a pleasure to have them on whenever we have them on. It's always good uh, content and good information. Of course, he is the uh, syndicated talk show host on XM Radio, and of course, he's a political scientist, uh, best-selling author as well. He's Dr. Wilmer J. Leon III. And Doc, always a pleasure to have you on, sir. L.A., it's always an honor when you call. Greatly appreciate it, and greetings to your audience. Absolutely. Always good to, good to see you in the flesh, just not to hear your voice this time. Um, I, I want to uh, go back a few days. We just had the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, and that's uh, exactly what it was. The numbers uh, really don't reflect what the quote-unquote history uh, tries to tell us. Uh, listen to the Europeans. They'll tell you that it was a riot and just something that, you know, a few people here and there got killed and a few buildings and businesses were burnt. But we know based on DNA and scientists' uh, uh, information that, it was far worse uh, than that. Talk about those uh, type of um, massacres or situations in the context of telling our story in terms of prosperity. You had Tulsa, you had Harlem, you even had Durham and, and other black uh, communities that were prospering for a long time until they came along with their envy, their jealousy, and all the other reasons why they do what they do, and destroyed it. So uh, not only tell the, telling the story of our prosperity, but also telling it the way it needs to be told. Uh, because as you know, a lot of these um, school districts, these board of educations across the country, are omitting the real history that, that we have. Well... There are a, a lot of different aspects and dimensions of this. Uh, I think the simplest context in which to put it in would have to be uh, white backlash. Right. That uh, one of the things that I think gets overlooked all too often is uh, th there are there are very few points in history where. Uh, we as uh, African-Americans or before that as, as Africans in America, where we made progress. And then as a result of that progress, there was not a uh, resounding, uh, significant uh, white backlash to that accomplishment. And uh, what happened in Tulsa is a uh, prime example of that. So we hear the question, you know, well, how come y'all can't ever do anything? How come y'all can't ever accomplish anything? How come right. y'all are? Well, because every time we do, you burn it down. So 
and and you know and and then I rise or from from there I rise so we 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 are we are constantly having to recreate we are constantly having a perfect example of that would be uh, uh the result of the 2020 election um no, no matter how you feel about whether you're a, a Biden supporter or not a Biden supporter or whatever, a Trump supporter, or whatever, uh, the 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 prevailing vote from the from the African American community was the Joe Biden vote, and Joe Biden won. And so, what do they do in Georgia? They change the rules. What do they do in Florida? They change the rules. What do they do in 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 in, in Milwaukee, in, in Wisconsin? They change the rules. In Texas and in Arizona, uh, that's just a, per, a, a clear. The, one of the most recent examples of 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 of, um, of white backlash to uh, to African American success. Uh, another element of this, as you alluded to, is critical race theory, where uh, there are just a number of people in this country, particularly white and conservative, that have this issue with the real accurate story of this country being told. And what I mean by that is when you start to bring in the realities of African Amer- of Africans in America and later African Americans, when you start to bring that reality into the narrative, all of a sudden we've got to be really, really concerned about the sensitivities of, um, of white Americans because they're all of a sudden nervous and can, oh well we can't we can't tell the story this way because that's going to make white people think that oh my goodness they're uh you know they, they're just evil and, and no that's that's not what the narrative is about at all it's just about why does my being pro me have to be interpreted as being anti you right uh and, go ahead no and and especially when you have um professors that, uh, well, an example, one of my colleagues said, you know, and he's in Oklahoma, he said when he was in college, he he wrote a, about the text of the Tulsa massacre. Mm-hmm. And his professor said, no, this is, where'd you get your information? This right. is not Theology. correct. Right. right, professor. This, right. this is not correct. This mm-hmm. is fake news way back then, that term, fake news. Right. So that's really the danger of it too, Dr. Leon. Oh, absolutely. And you've got somebody like former Senator uh, Rick Santorum, who just a couple of weeks ago was speaking to a group of uh, some young Republican group somewhere. And he's on tape as having told them, you know, when the when the settler colonial project arrived on the shores uh, from Europe, there was nobody here. There was nothing here. And then he and then he went on to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, of course, there were some Native Americans running around, but, you know, they weren't really doing too much. And, uh, you know, they don't really have any impact. They haven't had any impact on American culture. Uh, so he, this is this is a former sitting American senator that is that is spewing this ignorance and spewing this foolishness. And I tie that into the whole uh, issue with Palestinians, because uh, the issue there. Uh, the mantra there by the Zionists is this was a a a, a, a peopleless land for a land with uh, a land for people land for a people uh, for a people without a land mm. as though the uh, Palestinians weren't there when they got there. Um, it's all part of the same 
white supremacist uh, construct or mindset. Mm. And I am in no way, shape, or form impugning the character or intent of all white people because not all white people subscribe to that mindset. But there unfortunately are or is a uh, uh, preponderance or predominant uh, amount of them that do in in positions of power and unfortunately they are wreaking havoc on uh um on the narrative if you're just joining us here uh we're talking with dr wilmer j leon III. of course he's a syndicated talk show host we'll get into that information also best-selling author and political scientist here on ibm tv uh big mind entertainment the vast news radio network and wcom doc you mentioned pennsylvania uh, in terms of Rick Santorum and and the elections last year, you see uh, now the GOP in that state, and we've seen in other states still wanting to recall 2020. They still want to relive it. How much of this will play into that word, the mindset, in terms of voting in 2022 in particular, when it comes to those who may have issues with Joe Biden right now or those who are still on the fence with the idiot before him, how much will play into that? If they keep pushing this whole fake, the, 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 you know, the, the fix was in, the, it, you know, the election was rigged and let's recount in all these states, how much of that is going to carry over into the uh, midterms? Well, it already is because uh, it, well, the, I think there are a couple of answers to your question uh, some of it depends on the particular group of people that you're referring to, but a lot of it all already has because in these state houses that are controlled by Republicans, this big lie narrative is what's driving a lot of the momentum to change the access to the polls. So it's that big lie narrative that resulted in the rules being changed in Georgia. It's that big lie narrative that resulted in the rules being changed in Florida. It's that big lie narrative that's resulting in the rules being changed in Wisconsin. And I think there are about 24 other states that are involved in, in the same uh, voter suppressionist uh, activities. We see it happening in Arizona. We see it happening in, uh, again in Texas. So uh, and thank God that the that the Texas Democrats were able to walk out of the state house and stop that foolishness there. But it is prevalent in in a number of other uh, in a number of other states. So at that level, we're seeing it play itself out right now. Now, in terms of what it does, as a, in terms of those actually going to the polls, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I do know that that's also part of what's been driving the resistance of um, Mitch McConnell and some of the others to uh, stop the uh, congressional investigation into the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, and so I think that could very that could very well have an impact on uh, turnout or motivation to vote in 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 the midterms. So, so there are a number of factors that I think are relevant to this that are going to be either directly or tangentially uh, impacted by this 
that that go well beyond just how many people turn out and how many people cast their votes. Yeah, it's 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 really ridiculous. Um and and some of this obviously people want to believe what they want to believe that their, their candidate didn't win. Um but a, a lot of it is really uh, people uh doing the research but you're right i think the most dangerous part of all of this is the state capitals is is the state by state stuff where they're taking over and changing everything and if people don't get engaged uh to understand this then it's going to be dangerous a follow-up to that uh we've seen mlb take the all-star game from georgia based Mm -hmm. on the vote how much can sporting events like that you think sway in any changes because you know all-star game's not there the votes hasn't changed they still they still change the the law anyway well i think sporting organizations can have a huge impact because of the revenue that is tied to them. And at the end of the day, when you're boycotting or that's, that's, that's using economic power in order to impact public policy. So I think the Major League Baseball issue removing the uh, All-Star game uh, from Atlanta, that came after the Georgia vote. So it, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to understand um, why the vote hasn't changed is because the action taken by Major League Baseball, as significant as it is, came after the vote was cast. Uh, but it'll be it, it'll be very int- interesting to see um, what other tactics are taken of a financial nature that can have impact on these states. I want to say it was the NAACP that started the boycott of South Carolina. Uh, a couple of years ago to take down a Confederate flag off the state house. The Confederate flag was taken off the top of the state house in South Carolina because that that boycott resonated with an awful lot of folks and and that tourism dollar or the lack of that tourism dollar had a dramatic impact on on that policy. So uh I I think that 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 demonstrating uh, that, that what Major League Baseball did was a very clear demonstration of a professional sports uh, organization uh, doing the right thing. And uh, that can resonate in other states. Uh, that I think that leverage just has to be coordinated and, and used more often. Yeah, it, it it's going to be interesting if any of them follow any kind of suit as regards to bringing forth that change through that economic power that you, you talk about, the NBA usually typically takes the, you know, the it takes the lead on that type of stuff. So we'll see with that. Um, a couple other things before uh, we go. Um, when you look at this infrastructure bill, they said it was going to be done by Memorial Day. It's gone back and forth. You know, reports the GOP is saying or GOP leaders or people that follow them are saying, well, you know, the Biden administration's kind of, you know, they're acquiescing, they're, they're conceding to a lot of things. The White House is saying something different. How, how do you see this ending up? Um, and we've talked about Joe Manchin so many times as being really a Republican with a D on his name. Mm-hmm. We know he is. 
Um, and and he is 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 relishing in the fact that he's this person putting these negotiations together. Uh, how much will he hurt um, the Democrats uh, long term, in, in particular the midterms? Well, his recalcitrance and uh, inability to really understand the longer term positive implications that this infrastructure bill or the voting bill or the the police accountability bill have for the folks. My question really is, where are the people in West Virginia? Why aren't why aren't the folks in West Virginia that are that are going to be direct beneficiaries of these very types of actions? Why aren't they making more noise? Uh, One might also ask, why didn't the Democrats in anticipation of uh, Christian Sinema and Joe Manchin, maybe you needed to sweeten the pot and, and put some of these some more of these projects in their in their right. states, right? Uh, so that uh, they would be able to explain to their constituents, I did this for you. I did this because uh, this water treatment plan or these bridges or whatever is going to be uh, need. You know, I, I got I got this done for you. So why they why the Democrats haven't taken that that route I don't know uh, uh, why the people in West Virginia aren't aren't demanding more of Joe Manchin because they are going to benefit directly from this um, uh, there are also other um, tactics that I think that you know hey I think you got to do away with this darn uh, uh, filibuster and well that's that was going to be my next question. Do you think that they will get rid of it? And then um, just back to, to the voters' rights um, bill, again, people don't understand how it, it's already been sort of gutted down. All of the civil rights and voters' rights stuff has been kind of gutted in the courts. But people don't understand how crucial this bill is, you know, moving forward in terms of rights of, of, of the people. Uh, the, voter, the voting rights bill? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that is because uh, there are there are a, a number of organizations. There is I haven't seen. I don't want to say it doesn't exist. Let me say I have not seen a coordinated effort, a coordinated national effort to explain to the American people what this is about and why it's so important. It, it, this is still, to a great degree, being uh, looked as uh, as individual state issues, and the national benefit of doing of of having a bill like this has, I don't think, it has been articulated. Uh, whether it's the Congressional Black Caucus, whether it's the NAACP, whether it's the Urban League, I have not seen a coordinated effort by these organizations rallying the american people behind this because because democracy is definitely being threatened directly threatened here and as in too many instances people are going to wait too long they're going to be asleep at the switch Mm -hmm. and this deal is going to go down by the time they decide to do something about it it's going to be way too late and i think the naacp um doc is is meeting with joe manchin and and again, you have this leadership, you have these groups, as you mentioned, the Urban League, all these, you know, uh, Congressional Black Caucus, all these. And 
it, it, again, they're sitting in a room with Joe Manchin and people like that instead of, like you said, taking it to the street. Something we used to say about Barack Obama is, you know, you put it out there, let the Republicans say no to everything, and you go to the people. You lay out the case. And they don't do that. Instead, they want to be in a closed room with this guy who seemingly holds all this power. And, oh, by the way, um, where are Democrats um, as a body in the House and the Senate taking it to the streets, um, you know, to, to tell the story about why the Republicans, Mitch McConnell and groups are blocking this? Again, the voter the voting rights um a bill is is crucial. Not only that, the George Floyd bill is going to, uh, you know, send at least some type of uh, message and some type of um, different uh, passages in the in in the law to thwart some of this police brutality that tends to go on all the time. Well, but see, I think implicit in your analysis is an assumption that and, and and a stereotype that the Democrats are on one side of the spectrum and Republicans are on another side of the spectrum and that couldn't be more incorrect than ever before. Right. What so and we also have to look at the fact that I, to a great degree uh what we're getting out of Joe Biden we're getting just a kinder tone and a nicer smile on the same BS that that we've been getting for a very long time. And and so that's why we're not seeing to a great degree, that's why we're not seeing the fights that we think we should be seeing. Uh because uh when you look at the a lot of the, when you look at a lot of the policy from the Trump administration and you then particularly on the foreign policy side and then you look at a lot of the policy and listen to a lot of the narrative and the rhetoric from Biden, it's all the same stuff. Mm, yeah, and that's why we also uh, and and I was thinking when you were talking about the state capitals and how they're changing laws and and people get caught up in Republican and Democrat. I I I rather say conservatives because absolutely because uh, white Democrats, um, white Republicans, they they're conservatives. So on e- both sides of the aisle. So um, you, you're right. I did get a question. Uh, and it says, what is your thoughts on PACs or political action committees, who, for those who didn't know what that is? Uh, here in Durham, he said we have divides between the liberal white PACs and the minority PACs. Well, uh, political action committees are ha- have become, I think, a, a necessary evil. Um, but a, a lot of it really depends on what they stand for and what they're championing. Unfortunately, what we're seeing, whether it's through the military industrial complex and and the lobbying efforts and all the money that uh, the Lockheed Martins of the world and the and the Raytheon corporations of the world put put into uh, buying members of of Congress, um, or whether it's the NRA, uh, you know, all of the varying all of the varying lobbying interests that they that they pay for. Um, uh you know to 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 work against the interests the of the majority of Americans and work uh, for uh, towards against the interests of democracy um i would like to to see getting the money out of politics and and doing away 
with political action committees. But unfortunately, they've become a necessary evil. So, you know, what we need to do is we need to spend more time, effort, and money funding our efforts to counter the money that is working against our interests. How do we go about doing that? What, I mean, if, if they, they have a running start on it, you know, you mentioned NRA um, and some of these other real huge uh, lobbying uh, folks out there. How do we kind of combat that right away? Is that do do we so in order to to get to that level, do we dump a bunch of money in and then we bring it to the people to, to get small well, increments? No I, no, I don't think you dump a bunch of money in uh, because that's kind of to me that's kind of garbage in, garbage out. It, right. it, it it has to be incredibly well coordinated. Look at what's happening right now with the Zionist regime in Israel. And and look at, after all of these years, uh, there is now starting to be positive movement internationally on behalf of the Palestinians. And with the, with the, um, with the uh, BDS movement, there is starting to be, look at, look at what we were able to accomplish with the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. So, I mean, there are models for us to follow. It's, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm. Uh, the models are there. We just have to understand our history and we just have to understand, you know, look at what has worked in the past. There's no reason in the world that those types of things can't be replicated today. Yeah. Yeah. It, we have to do something because it, it, it's getting out of hand. Um, politicians sit on their hands or act based on all of that, uh, as we know. Um, and it's like you said, it's a necessary evil, but we do have to have some kind of a pull on the other side. Doc, before you go, um, please do let people know about your your um, your book, um, your your latest op-ed, and of course your your show on uh, XM. Well, I haven't written in a minute, uh, uh, so actually I can't even off the top of my head I can't tell you what the latest op-ed was. This is uh, the cover of the book. Uh, politics, another perspective. Um, I have it, folks. It's really good, by the way. And let me just say real quick, you could talk about it, but the, the stuff in this book that Dr. Leon wrote when he wrote it in the Obama era, he could, he could give you a better description. A lot of it is playing out. It's coming to fruition. <laughs> That's why you got to read the book and, and see. Well, go ahead, Doc. Uh, politics, uh, again, here's the Here's the placard with the with the cover of the book. It's right there in back oh, back here in the corner. Uh, Politics: Another Perspective, a commentary and analysis on race, war, ethics, and the American political landscape in the age of Obama. Uh, go to WilmerLeon.com. You can go to WilmerLeon.com and order an autographed copy of the of the book from me. Uh, the show uh, Inside the Issues on Sirius XM 126 Urban View. Got a great, great show lined up uh, this Saturday. Got Dr. Gerald Horn. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, the 100th commemoration of the of the massacre in Tulsa. Uh, we're going to be talking about that in the context of other massacres that took place and uh, in the context of critical race theory and as well as what all that means today. Uh, we're going to be, I, I got, I got a, a number of folks, I got a, a great, great discussion. Uh, Dan Kovalik just came back from Syria, and you know that there was an election in Syria uh, Wednesday, 
and uh, President al-Assad has been reelected in Syria. So United States, United States spent 10 years and uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars trying to overthrow Bashar al-Assad in Syria, and he just got reelected. So uh, Dan Kovalik has just come back from Syria. So we're going to be getting some uh, real insight in, into that. Uh, a lot of good stuff uh, lined uh, that, that's in store. Uh, Caleb Moppin is going to be on discussing his book about Kamala Harris. Um, a lot in store for you on this Saturday, 11 to 2 p.m. Eastern, Sirius XM 126 Urban View, Inside the Issues with Wilmer Leon, uh, this Saturday, 11 to 2 Eastern, 126 Urban View. Doc, as always, man, I'm, good you, I'm glad you made a house call. Uh, good to see you make the house call in person. Hey, man, congratulations and- on the new format. This is, this is, this is great. Uh, I started with you, I think, fairly early in the game. Yes, sir. And uh, you are a testament to, uh, to perseverance. You are a testament to what quality radio can actually do. And, uh, man, congratulations. You're making, you're making great strides. Well, look, when you, you have been with me since pretty much the jump, and I appreciate you. And every time you come on, my, the numbers go up. So <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could help. Glad appreciate I could you, help. Thanks, you got Doc. it, man. God bless. Be careful. You got it. I'm out. All right. Dr. Wilma J. Leon, again, um, you can catch his broadcast. It's on uh, uh, Inside the Issues on uh, Sirius XM 126, the Urban uh, View is pretty much like the Black Channel on uh, XM Radio. They have all the great stuff. But, I mean, you heard his lineup. Uh, just check him out. Always good. And his book and all his information that you want to reach him and get his book, his, his, his last book that he did uh, put out, which is phenomenal, is at WilmerLeon.com, Wilmer, W-I-L-M-E-R, Leon.com. You can check it out there. Uh, before we go, just want to remind folks about the show later on this evening, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, you can listen at 646 929 0130. 646 929 0130 is the number, um, or on blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA, the hyphen or minus sign, whatever you want to call it, bachelor. So com forward slash LA hyphen bachelor. It'll take you there tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern. From six to eight, we got two hours, and we're going to be talking about. Um, and I see my buddy Mark Lee there. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight, Mark and audience, about black love, black marriages, how to make it work. He, it, it, Mark, you, I don't, I, I forgot your your um, your situation, but I mean, just dating in 2021 is just off the charts people just all over the place it, oh yeah they're all, all over the place it's online interesting. and everything you know it's online there's all kinds of situations like that i'm actually even though i'm in my late 50s uh still single lifelong bachelor uh at some point maybe i'll find that queen <laughs> and we get on the uh, marriage train and all of that but i have seen that whole conversation as i told you before recently i've joined clubhouse and some of those rooms in that social app space are definitely involving around dating. I mean, there's a lot of serious political discussions as well, and definitely some discussions around podcasting, but there are some that are around the dating space as well. And you're definitely right. You know, a lot of folks were feeling very confined during the whole pandemic and were not even finding the places that they could go for the dates other than online. So a lot of folks are glad to be able to get out to the bars, get out to the various other places and be able to actually get 
their uh, date groove on, if you want to use that term and everything. And one of the things I was going to ask your guest, and by the way, he was an amazing guest. Hope that you'll have him back on in the, the near future. But maybe Absolutely. I'll even get your reflections on it. Is one y'all mentioned Joe Manchin, and one of the guys that we do our shows with is a guy named Steve Rao, who is a city councilman in Morrisville and of uh, Indian descent, Indian as in from India. And his um, actually knows Mr. Manchin, and I think he's trying to get Mr. Manchin to come on one of our shows because he's known Mr. Manchin for a while, and apparently he's. Um, even though he has some conservative tendencies, <clears throat> he's also a big proponent, apparently, of, like, technology and some of the uh, things in that space, so about positive things on that regard. And I think that that's why Steve is uh, somewhat of a fan of his, even though Steve would consider himself probably liberal to moderate. So if that happens, I'll have to make sure that you're on there and that maybe uh, um, the doc is on there as well. But I know that Steve has been talking about making that happen in the very near future. So, and the things I was going to ask Doc, and I don't know if you saw the question come across, and maybe you'll bring him back and we can find out. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about voting, and there's even talk about having universal voting, which means that the voting would happen on the same day and across the nation. And a lot of folks are saying that that would make it a more fair system. And some people have even talked about it being online. Now, there might be some security questions with that, and we've got enough security issues without that <laughs> aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll get Doc on again to to talk about it. I, I mean, um, Joe Manchin has been a thorn in, in Democrat side, even though he's a, you know, quote unquote Democrat only by by the, the letter, um, but certainly not in terms of his policy. And, and Doc is right. We're all the West Virginians and, you know, they need uh, affordable health care, a.k.a. Obamacare. Um, they need all of these things. They need to be able to have the vote, the vote, so they can um, let their voice be heard. They they need all these things, and yet, you know, they're silent. Um, yeah, well, and, we got to get them out of their silence. There's no doubt about that. I know one of the things we said we were going to do, and I'm going to try to do it right now. It won't be as smooth as when you get those MP4s to me and everything. But you did have some sponsors that we want to give them some time as well. So I'll put them into the drive, and we're going to put that on here as maybe our way to get on out of here so you can get ready to do your thing as well. And I don't know if you saw it, but I had a microphone, so I might use that as your backdrop. I went back with the leaves on today, and it seems to work. But I did have the one that you sent me with the micro, uh, with the microphone and all of that and the on-air sign. So I might try yeah, that I like, with your next guest. I think I like that as our backdrop. So I think I'm going to stick with the on-air one as the I backdrop, like, and we'll have the screen in front of that. I was wondering yeah. about the uh, look of that, but I think as I play with it, I'm actually preferring that. But let's check out what your sponsors have to say and all of that and some of the people that you have brought in terms of their MP4. So we're going to bring that on here, and we're going and to play me, this one from. Real quick, uh, I was going to say, just to remind folks, 6 o'clock tonight, uh, thanks to Mark uh, Lee, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, which my, my uh, brother actually owns, the Bassett News Radio Network and WCOM. Appreciate you. Uh, make sure you check out. Uh, Mark, check in, because I have a bunch of women up there tonight. I need some some men up there to, to help me help me uh, carry the load, sir. I'll see what I can do for you. I'll definitely try to come in there and see what I can do. You said that's at 7 o'clock. Unfortunately, that's around the same six, time as six o'clock. Six o'clock. o'clock. That's the yeah. same time as the other show that I produce. But I'll see if I can't slide away from Miss Coco. But if you know, if you know that if I'm not there in person, I'm there as that old saying goes, 
in spirit. In spirit. So we're going to see whether I'm actually <laughs> able to pull it off or not, because I know you got the women over there, and they probably got all kinds of things going on and all kinds of conversations. So I would love to be there, but you know there's that thing called obligations of work. So we're going to see how that plays out and all of that. But if I can make it, you know I'm there. Appreciate you, sir. No problem. Would you like to know where your family came from? Are you planning a reunion? Is your business celebrating an anniversary? Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can help. With 34 years of experience as an archivist, preserving and making accessible documents and photographs, and as a historian researching genealogies. Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can bring your history to life and preserve it for your children's grandchildren. For more information, email her, vm as in Mary, ah, at keycon.net. That's vm as in Mary, ah, at keycon.net. Or call 814-932-1710. You have some more amazing conversations by L.A. Batchelor. And his guests, he's been putting together some truly amazing guests and all of that. And I know that I've been thoroughly enjoying the conversations. I hope that y'all have been as well. So we're going to continue this thing rolling right along. And I will try to bring up one of his other announcements as well. And then right after that, we're going to get on out of here. But definitely some great information. And hopefully y'all are enjoying what's being shared with you on a regular basis.
the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires ported of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio.
Andrew, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay, I don't know what was going on. And I gave you that huge gave you that huge introduction. Um, <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't hear not a word I said. Wow. Yeah, um, nope, sorry. <laughs> hey, well, just, you know, you're a, a soccer enthusiast, of course. That's an understatement, but a, a soccer analyst and, and, and writer. And we appreciate you coming out. I hope all has been well with you, sir. Oh, glad to be on Talk About the Beautiful Game, and I am doing well. Thank you for Good. having me. Good. Good. So, I, you know, I don't know what to make of this this win 
that the U.S. men's national team had over Mexico. You know, Mexico's the the arch rival, right? You know, you beat Mexico and and all is well in the world. Of course, you know they don't qualify for the World's Cup. We'll, we'll get to that. But you know, this this game was really mired in a lot of stuff. A bad goal early. I think in the first fifteen uh, of the of the game, they give up a bad goal. Um, a lot of controversy about some of the penalty shots. Um, you know, certainly some some um, gay slurs and things of that nature going. So a lot of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, right, um, the men's team got it done against a very formidable opponent. So what what do you make of this game in particular? Um, the challenges, the drama, and it was a really exciting game, especially coming down with that kick for them to win 3-2. But what do you make of, of how this game went, all the, the ups and downs and dramas and, and, and the end result? Uh, I think what it ultimately showed is that the U.S.-Mexico, or El Enemigo as I refer to them, that, that rivalry is back on. Uh, this game, as you mentioned, it had everything. The only thing it didn't have was someone getting sent off, and that you know, quite possibly could have happened with, with some of the uh, inconsistent officiating. But that game really had everything. But what it did show um, is that, first of all, that U.S.-Mexico rivalry is back on, um, you know, and, and the United States has served notice that, you know, you know they have retooled. Um, they've got players playing in big-time clubs. Um, and, you know, remember, this team has not really played that much together. Uh, right. With all of the new players that are coming in, um, you know, these are this is a young team. Uh, this is a team that is, is hungry, and you know, there's a few people like Christian Pulisic who who were on the field when the United States failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. They were on the field in that uh, that loss against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which seems like almost a lifetime ago now. Um, mm. But I think what it really shows is that uh, they found the, they found their way back into this match. I mean, I thought Mexico actually, uh, Ellen and Migo, as I like to call them, they outplayed the United States for large stretches of that match, especially in the first half. Um, but the United States, they just kept at the task. Um, they've got talent. They, you know, they, they obviously, you know, they always have the, the drive to win. Um, the, that's something that has always been, you know, a hallmark of this team is just willing to work and really get after it. But they found a way to win uh, against a team that has been better than them for the last, you know, four or five years and got a result. And maybe it was not the most important uh, title, but it certainly was one that mattered. And and it's going to and it really showed the United States team. They're really uh, giving us a lot in terms of U.S. fans. They're giving us a lot of hope uh, for the future coming up. You know, with this World Cup cycle that will start later on this year, and certainly you know with the Gold Cup in the next few weeks, and certainly and hopefully into the World Cup next year. And I mentioned also a fail to, to to qualify for the Olympics, but you know the one thing about this team, and I think you you hit on it is they're talented much more than I thought. Um, they're young, which is a good thing because, you know, the young guys going to get the experience as you, you talked about, um, the Gold Cup, World Cup, all those, all these matches, all of this intensity um, coming up. It, it's, I mean, the upside has to be there 
Andrew, talk about the mixture of this team. They're a young squad. Um, they 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 got some respectability in beating a very good team and coach Berhalter's and this team and him trying to to mold this team internationally. Um, but young with a mixer of a few other guys that were there, like you said, in 2018. Um, but the, the sky's got to be a limit um, with some of the talent. Talk about this talent. Talk about how this talent can kind of flourish in the years to come. It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young and getting really valuable experience, and that right. experience comes from where they're playing. Uh, we have you know, the United States now has a number of players that are playing at some really big time clubs. You know, um, you know, for the most part, we had you know a really mixture of you know veterans and 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 young players. You know, a lot of the veterans were getting some time at some European clubs, and you know, a lot of the younger players are getting a lot more time at their MLS clubs. Now you're seeing kind of the opposite. You're seeing about a, a lot of younger players that are getting significant minutes at big time clubs and you talk about you know Kristen Pulisic you know you highlight him you know he's just won the UEFA Champions League with Chelsea um, you look at Serginho Dest, who's played, you know, has been a starter for most of the year with uh, Barcelona, and you can't have any kind of discussion without talking about Weston McKinney, who's been playing, uh, you know, from the Dallas area. Young brother's been playing with Juventus uh, for the last year, alongside with Cristiano Ronaldo in the Italian league. Um, so, you know, you have other players like Gio Reyna, who scored the equalizer against Mexico. Uh, he has been, uh, a, you know, a starter for, uh, or and certainly getting a whole lot of minutes with Borussia Dortmund. So, and and, and uh, Jordan Sabachu, who scored the game winner, uh, who scored the game winner uh, against Honduras in the previous match. Uh, you talk about uh, Mark McKenzie, who gave the ball away, uh, but you know kind of regrouped and had a decent match against Mexico the rest of the game. You know, he's playing over in Switzerland. So you have a lot of, uh, me, I think he's a Belgium actually, but you're having a lot of younger players that are not only playing, um, you know, for the United States, but they're getting valuable experience at big time clubs abroad. You know, you also have some players that are playing, you know, in MLS, uh, Sebastian Legette with Galaxy, um, Paul Oriola, who's come back from injury. He wasn't on the squad, but he's going to be making his way back. We didn't get to see a lot of use of Mensa, who's playing for Valencia um, in Spain. So you have a lot of, as I mentioned, a lot of younger players that are getting significant time at these big-time clubs, and that's where that experience is going to come in. Now, can they mold all that experience into a cohesive playing unit for the United States of America, that's what uh, Bernhalter's greatest challenge is going to be over the next, certainly over the next few weeks with the Gold Cup coming up um, as we get into World Cup qualifying later on this year and hopefully into the tournament uh, at the end of next year. And, you you, you know, there's so many other drama with um, the kid that um, uh, took over. You, you have an injury. Um, at uh, a goaltender, you bring in a guy who's from Denver. They're playing in Denver. He's making the stops. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't get uh, that. It, it doesn't get better than that. And it, it happened to have his family there uh, at the match. You look at though. Um, when you look at the the international teams, the teams there. I, I mean, Mexico is an elite team. Um, and you talked about some of the, the, the core players are playing in these these uh, these clubs. Um, moving forward, uh, talk about the the dynamics of how 
because for some that don't understand how they're playing in these leagues, and then when these these major cups come up, the Gold Cup, you know, the World Cup, of course, uh, if it was the Olympics, that they're allowed to get away. And if they're getting away, how do they remesh? You know, this is not like, um, you know, the Miami Heat or, you know, when you got a roster together and guys have been gelling, you might get a trade and the guy comes in. But if guys are not there and they're coming in and they, oh, my God, here's the World Cup, and you have to play against these elite uh, countries, how do they mesh together and how does that work taking them from these these clubs, these elite clubs that they're playing at, like you said, these high-end clubs, uh, and coming back to, to, to win for the United States? Well, you got to kind of liken it to uh, you want to go back to uh, NBA players playing in the Olympics. You know, they represent for their clubs. They represent, you know, for their various teams all, you know, throughout an 82 you know, game season, um, and then when it comes to you know some of them are playing in the world championship, uh, world basketball championships. But you know the most you know obvious example, of course, is when they play for the Olympics. Um, and so you're bringing you know you're bringing a Kevin Durant in, you're bringing a, a James Harden in, you're bringing in hopefully a Steph Curry one of these days. You're bringing in, or if you even go back to, to the original Dream Team, you know you you have all these different players at these different positions, and you bring you know, what you feel is the best of the best at the time, and you try to mesh them together. You try to get them into a, a cohesive playing unit, taking what they're doing at their club level and and, and singing, seeing what they're going to be able to do on, on a national team level. And so these national team coaches, um, that's what they get paid these big bucks to do. You know, they, they spend a lot of their time – scouting players that go to different matches and they see, you know, they get players that are on the radar or they check on players who are already on in the team. And what is it that uh, they're seeing at what they're doing at the club level um, that, you know, can translate into what you want to achieve on the national team level. Let's take, for example, Serginio Dest, who plays for uh, Barcelona. Uh, you know, Barcelona, we're talking about one of the top teams in the world. This is, a, uh, you know, Lionel Messi's team, okay? Um, Antoine uh, Griezmann, who uh, plays for France. Um, you know, those type of players, all right? So he's playing for uh, that that team. He gets a lot of starts. But what's interesting is that he plays normally on the right side of uh, the right side of the defense. Burhalter has him playing on the left side. And so what is it that he's seeing from Serginio Dest that he feels that he can convert, you know, he can use those talents that are usually on the right side and, and on, the le- you know, on the left side? Is it that he doesn't feel he has enough players to, to play on that other side um, and that he feels that Serginio Dest is best on the left side? Who knows? You know, you, you, that's the kind of thinking um, that these national team coaches have to do. And so, you know, they're always looking at different players, seeing what they're doing with their club teams, you know, how they're playing, you know, the style of play and bringing them into the national team and trying to, you know, gel all of that together to make sure you have the best cohesive unit that's going to be successful. Just joining us, we're talking with Andrew Dixon, of course, talking some soccer here on the Bassin News Radio show on the Bassin News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, IBM TV and Big Mind Entertainment. Uh, Andrew, what what's the realistic goal moving forward this year um, with this team, uh, you talked about the the mesh, and you and you put you pointed out correctly. It's one thing to be young; it's another thing to be young and 
and and to be able to have the ability and the talent to do it and 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 have and go through some of the grinds the the learning experience if you you face um uh you know a more talented or experienced team or you have disappoint uh, disappointments like they had last year. So what's the realistic goals for this team moving forward this year? Well, you're going to look at, you know, in the most immediate time frame, you're going to look at the Gold Cup, which starts um, in July. And that's, that is what is our, our, our Euros, our Euro champion, championships, our Copa America. That's the uh, Confederation Championships for North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. And so, you know, you're looking to, you know, reestablish yourself as the kings of CONCACAF. And, you know, given what's just happened, you know, Mexico is going to be, they realize that the United States is back. They realize that there's yeah. a fight on their hands for that supremacy. And so, although they you know, got, really, although they got robbed of a, a few of those calls too, by the way, like you said, I thought the officiating was, was not really good on either yeah, side. Was, but I thought, there was, a lot, was yeah, there was a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting calls that went on in that. But you're going to be looking at, you're, you're be looking at how, okay, you've had this great win against Mexico. Now, how do you do it in a tournament setting? You know, this was just essentially two games because um, right. it, it's the semifinals and finals of the, of the Nations League. But now you're going into a, a tournament setting where you've been playing against teams that you're expected to beat. And as the tournament gets, you know, for, it progresses further, you know, ultimately leading what most likely will be another showdown with Mexico in the final. You know, how do you gel? How do you get that team moving forward? What kind of flow do you have, you know, from the start of the tournament going up to in, into uh, into the final and then beyond that towards the end of this year is when world cup qualifying starts for the 2022 world cup which will be taking place at the end of 2022 it'll start like right around thanksgiving and go through uh, right up through about the middle of december next year so um what you want to make sure is that you know you get out of that gold cup hopefully with a title and then as you move forward again you got to have your same thing you're bringing players back in from their club teams getting them ready um What's realistic, definitely at least getting to the final of the world uh, of the Gold Cup, hopefully winning it. And in terms of World Cup qualifying, there's no reason why this team can't get back into the tournament. Okay, I'm looking at some of the teams that we have seen uh, over the last uh, last few weeks. Um, really, Mexico and the United States are kind of head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's normally the case, but they're definitely the one-two. You're looking at teams like Costa Rica and Honduras. They haven't really shown much um, in terms of their results. Um, they haven't really shown much in terms of their own development um, of, of players. Um, you look at maybe some of the Caribbean teams. Jamaica always does well during the Gold Cup. Um, maybe they'll be, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be able to make a, a deep run into the into the uh, in World Cup qualifying, so you're really looking at you know how you progress through this Gold Cup, how what kind of uh, consistency that you show when you're playing in World Cup qualifying, you know beating the teams that you're supposed to beat, maybe grinding out results that you probably shouldn't, you know, and, and that's really going to portend. Um, how well you're going to, uh, you know, of course you're going to have all these friendly matches as, as well in terms of, uh, you know, exhibitions that'll help you prepare for the World Cup. But that's what you're looking at. Should they get to the World Cup? Yes, they should. Depending on what the group is, when they get to the World Cup, can they get out of it? Yeah, we have talent. We have players that are doing big things. So it's just a matter of, and you hope that nobody gets injured. You know, your injuries, you know, in any sport play a role in in what's uh, what your progression is going to be. So. 
looking at you know the Gold Cup, looking at World Cup qualifying, you expect at least a final appearance in the Gold Cup final. You expect consistency in terms of getting the results that you're supposed to get um, in, in terms of World Cup qualifying and getting back into the tournament that matters, and that's the World Cup at the end of 2022. You know, the, one of the things that, uh, about um, the, the men, and we'll get to the women uh, shortly, and women were not uh, I'm not, uh, you know, putting them off. I mean, quite frankly, uh, it's they're really good. So we'll talk about the men a little bit more. But one of the things uh, I it, I feel like with this team and with with soccer, it feels like the Olympics. And when it feels like the Olympics for me, Andrew, I'm very cautious of how. Uh, Again, you have to play the game and all that, and you have to overcome bad calls and things and penalty kicks and things that may happen in a game. But I'm always kind of cautious when it comes to that. But is this a a short leash for this coach if they don't do well in the Gold Cup, if they don't qualify um, for the World Cup? Is he, um, you know, out the door and they're looking again because the pressure, it seems to me, Andrew, is that the women are just lights out. And so the men, you know, we've been talking about how the, the talent and, and you know, they should beat Costa Rica, they should beat Honduras, and we've seen some, some missteps. So is it the pressure where this coach has to, to get to the Gold Cup and, and a final and win um, and, and, and all of that um, or, or, you know, if he doesn't do this, is he out of a job? Well, I think the, the success that American fans and American soccer media um, and the officials, uh, I think it's what the expectations are irrespective of what the women are doing. You know, they're doing – the women are doing what they're doing. The men are not – they're not measuring themselves against, against the, the United States women's national team successes. They're measuring themselves against Mexico. They're measuring themselves against England. You know, the, the mm. Argentina's, the Brazil's. That's who they're measuring right. their successes against. And whether – now, is he on a short lease? I wouldn't say right now. I, I think, you know, for the – one thing is that – in terms of getting consistent results, you know, the United States is starting to get there, okay? Maybe they're not playing the way that we want them to. We want them to dominate games. When, when you're playing against Mexico, you want them to be going head-to-head. You don't want to have long periods where you're being out-possessed, and that's what happened, especially in that first half of that game Sunday night. Right. They turned it around in the second half, I thought, um, and, and were able to, as I said, grind out their result. So, is he on the hot seat? There's a lot of fans that weren't in favor of Greg Berhalter getting this job in the first place. Mm. Um, when you had, you know, amongst one of the people that were uh, that United that United States fans wanted to see take over was the current coach of Mexico because he had coached two years in Atlanta and had gotten them to the uh, gotten into the playoffs as an exhibition team and then won the MLS Cup at, in their second year. And then he left to go take, you know, Tito Martino. He went over to take in, uh, take over uh, for Mexico, you know. So there have been other names that have been mentioned, other uh, because people want to see the United States not just, you know, 
win grind out games, but we want to see them actually play with a flow and actually play with a style. Okay, one thing that you say about Mexico is that that's where that's how they play. They play their movement off the ball has always been really good, and um, you know they possess the ball really well. Um, they have, of course you know they have individual talent, of course that that always comes with it. Um, but even when you, what you would find is that even when Mexico would lose the ball or there'd be loose balls, they'd always be uh, in the right position to to regain possession. Right. So what the United States doesn't have, they didn't show that against Mexico the other night. And when you're, you know, when you're contemplating not just playing against Mexico, but playing against your, you know, your Colombia's, your Argentina's, your, your Brazil's, your England's, you know, your France's and, 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 you know, where are we in terms of that pecking order, you know, and is this the coach that's going to get us there? So, yes, he needs, I mean, he needs to get to the gold cup final and, and he probably should win it. Okay. But, it's going to, you know, we get into the first few games of the, what's now, it used to be the Hex, and it's now kind of the octagon, so to speak, where you have eight teams in that final group for World Cup qualifying. Is right. If he gets off to a slow start, is it too late at that point? Because it's so it's going to be so late in the game. Now, we saw in the last World Cup qualifying cycle in that final round, the United States dropped the first two matches, home to Mexico, away to Costa Rica, and looked pretty bad in that Costa Rica match, and Jurgen Klinsmann ended up being fired. So Bruce right. took over. But there was that there was time. You know, there was time because that you know, he, that firing took place, you know, in January or February of two thousand and seventeen and World Cup qualifying didn't end until October. So you had time. Do you have that time given this new format? I'm not sure that we do. I don't right. see the United States spending a whole bunch of money to buy Burhalter out, and whether they're be able to, or I don't know, you know, if they're engaging and trying to find somebody else. Do they have a backup that's viable and that's available? So, it, I'm guessing it's going to be Burhalter to stay, and it's going to be Burhalter's project um, from from here on out to the end of World Cup qualifying. Um, and assuming that we qualify, you know, it's going to be him. So I don't really see a coaching change. I think it's kind of too late in the game, especially the way the formatting is now uh, because of this World Cup being uh, in Qatar and because, you know, it's in the middle of the desert, so you can't have it during um, – You can't obviously you can't have a World Cup during the summer uh, and, and if you're playing in the desert like Qatar. And um, I, I just think the way the World Cup qualifying is going to be set up, you know, starting so late this year and in, into next year, I don't see a coaching change happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, sink or swim with him, you're right. Because of the new format, it, it makes sense. It, they, it, it would be a scramble if they did it. I thought Klingsman, I mean, you and I talked about him um, and and his style. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately they they didn't perform and, you know, someone's going to have to go. And so right. he was let go. But, we, you know, this this guy, I think uh, the, like you said, the, the formula is there for them to, to do well. It's just a matter of the, and I, I'm with you. They grinded that, that second half, they grinded it out. They, they could have lost and they came, they showed some poise, you know, and I, I was very impressed with that. That's why I said, um, you know, the poise and, and the drama that went into everything, the fact that they got the win and against Mexico, I thought was really impressive. Um, that was really one of the classic 
U.S.-Mexico matches. I mean, you know, this rivalry has really kicked up since about 1994. Um, and when the United States beat Mexico in a warm-up match right before the 1994 World Cup. And the matches that have been going on since then, you know, have really built this up to one of the most intense rivalries in, in, in world soccer. And you saw that night, I mean, all the skirmishes, all the controversies, all the passion. I mean, you know, how many, you know, my how many fights were there darn near, you know, and this was in, you know, going in from about like maybe 75 minutes in to the, you know, from the game. Uh, it was just, there was just so much going on in that match. It was such a, a roller coaster. You know, my daughter and I were watching that late up into the night, watching that match. And it was just really something to watch. And, 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 you know, it, it just really had everything, you know, fans throwing stuff on, you know, Mexican fans throwing stuff on the field. And it, it right. was just one of the craziest, games I've seen in quite a while and it just says I mean this this rivalry is you know people want to think well there can't be any kind of real rivalry in soccer if the United States was involved but let me tell you this is really one of the most intense rivalries um, this is like this is Lakers I, I, it's just fun to watch this is yes Lakers Celtics this is Red Sox Yankees I mean they, it, it they, really these is. teams that they hate each other in, in the sense that they want to win you know, not yep. the, maybe so so much at real hate, but they, you know, and this is pride. This is our southern, you know, uh, partners or our southern neighbors, if you will, right. uh, that we want to beat. So yeah, I mean, yeah. That, and, and you throw in it, and you exciting. throw in additionally the the politics, you, know the, the, you right. know, the politics with the United States and Mexico as as nations. You know, you throw that into the mix. You know, I, I it's just. It's, and that's something that's been long simmering for a while, for a long time as well. So it's really just it, it. You just saw a bubble over Sunday night. I mean, it just was really one of the great matchups in this rivalry. And you know, you look forward to hopefully another one in, uh, when the Gold Cup uh, concludes next month. And and uh, just to, to put a bow on that, I one of my um, uh, partners here uh, on the broadcast uh, owns a business. He's uh, from Mexico, and and we were texting back and forth, and, and like you and your daughter were up night, and I was, you know, yeah, okay, here we go, you know, we're right in, it and he's bragging and he's saying stuff in in, in Spanish, yep. and, and so uh, <laughs> it was really wild. So I was I was very proud of that team, uh, this team to get it done. Uh, speaking of teams to get it done, you look at the women, and uh, what do you, what can you say? Uh, uh, at the time of this broadcast, they're getting ready for Portugal uh, on their summer series. They'll be playing Jamaica uh, on the 13th in Nigeria after that. You know, take us through, Andrew. You play the game. You know the game. You love the game. Take us through a dominant team, whether it be England, Mexico, any of those teams um, where they're expected to win and they win, and they continue to win. Take us through how does – what does the coach, what does the team do to, to stay motivated when you're playing, whether you're playing, you know, a Mexico or you're playing a no disrespect of Nigeria or Costa Rica or so on, that you, you still have that, that step-on-your-throat type of mentality with a team like this? Well, I think with any great sports – team you know any great any great sports franchise you know or whether it's a sporting country and soccer you know is winning is a culture you know it's a tradition and when you sign up for it 
you know, you realize that what's expected is to maintain that level of excellence. You know, you, you go anywhere. You know, uh, right. you, you, I mean, you're in the you're in the Carolinas, so you got you know you look at the University of uh, North Carolina in terms of college basketball, Duke. You know, those teams like that. You're expected when you step in, when you put on that uniform, you put on that practice jersey, that you're expected to maintain that level of excellence. And what you've seen with the United States women's national team over the last you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, you know, is really a, a continuation of that. They, they, you know, they've been able to retool and bring in uh, some you know, younger players that have come in and done the business. The, the veterans continue to step up, continue to do big things. So you're looking at, you know, a, a team that is just really on, that continues to maintain that high level because they're hungry. They want to win every title. There is, they realize everybody's gunning for them now. And I think what you're seeing. And what you're seeing is, you know, a kind of a cascade effect because other teams, other nations are now starting to put that type of commitment into their women's national team. Look at who made the final against the U.S. in the last World Cup, the Netherlands. That was not a, a women's national team that really put a whole lot of effort into um, a lot of financial backing into their national team. Same thing with Brazil. You know, Brazil they've had success, but even Marta has called out the federation and saying, hey, look, you know, we need that funding. We need that continued support, okay? And so now that these other teams are starting to take this seriously, you know, these other countries are starting to say, hey, we can do this too. You know, it, it's making the American players that come in and put on that practice jersey and, and get ready for training to realize, hey, look, I'm competing against this person for this spot because I want to be the best. I want to be part of the best, and this is the way to do it. We put the work in. And that work translates into, you know, world championships. Uh, Olympics is what the, which the women's team is preparing for now with the summer series because they've got a decent group um, that they're going to be competing in uh, at, at the, you know, their, their in terms of their draw at at the uh, at the Olympics, so they're really. Um, I think the United States women's national team, their success is you know it's driven by themselves, but it's also helping the rest of the world because they're saying, hey, look, we can do this too, you know. And because of that, it comes back to the women's team and said, hey, you know, they're gunning for us, they're coming for us. We got to make sure that we maintain our high standards. You know, you took the the next question out of my mouth, which is, you know, the United States team. Sets the standard, like you said, the Duke. I'm throwing my Yukon Huskies, the ladies' team. You know, the, the right. standard is the standard. And when you get on this team, if you're Alex Morgan or a two-time uh, World Cup winner and, and, and Alyssa Nair or, or Carly Lloyd, if you get all those those folks in there, when they, they put on that, that uniform, like you said, that practice, um, the standard is the standard. So with that being said, when you look around the game in some of these countries, who do you see trying to really step up? We'll get into, you know, World Cup and stuff in a minute, but who do you see really trying to put that emphasis on trying to, to, to beat, it, you know, this, this U.S. team? Because, again, in order to beat, beat a man, they say you got to beat the man, in this case, exactly. woman. and. And so who do you see in some of these countries in terms of trying to make that that next move to try to compete and even beat them? Uh, well, you still got to look at – I still think um, the game of that tournament uh, of the last World Cup was the United States versus France. That was the one that everybody 
uh, everybody kind of circled because they realized that whoever's going to come out of that tournament was going to win, come out of that game is going to win the tournament. And that's because France is that good. They have, um, you know, they're, they're, they draw a lot from Olympic Lyon, uh, which is until this year had been just running through, um, uh, running through France, running through, uh, the, the women's champions league. Um, and so, they have just some really phenomenal talent coming out of that uh, out of that country. Um, England is a decent team. There, you know, they got to the semifinals, um, made the United States really work uh, to get into the final. Uh, the Netherlands obviously is, is still good. Um, you know, uh, Sweden has always been one of the one of the top teams. Um, you know, certainly given the United States, always pushed the United States. Um, Australia is another one who the United States is going to see at the Olympics um, in a few weeks. Uh, that's another team that is going to be pushing them. But you know, I really, the United States really to me is still the gold standard. They and I really don't see. You know, they they played France in a friendly about maybe a month or two ago. I think France was a little short-handed in that match, and the United States handled them pretty easily. Um, but I, I, those are some of the teams I think are, are really going to uh, start trying to push the United States uh, in the coming years. Um, I still think I, I really don't see anybody beating this team, uh, the, uh, the United States team at the Olympics, you know, during a tournament. The United States, even if they start slowly, they always gain momentum um, throughout a tournament. Or even with the last World Cup, they started off with that 13 uh, nothing, the beating on Thailand, um, and just kept rolling right through the tournament so um you know there it says that there are teams that are out there that can give the united states trouble that can you know really put them under the sword i think france you know outplayed them in their matchup uh, at the 2019 world cup um but the united states were able to you know this, this is the thing about soccer it's not about possession it's not about stats it's really about can you put the ball in the net united states mm. did that twice and france could only do it once despite how well they played um and that's ultimately why the united states moved on um but I really think, yeah, you know, France is probably the the one team that the United States has to kind of look out for. So, hey, you know, we got to bring our A game today. You, you know, it's interesting that you didn't mention any of the countries of color, if you will. Um, so they're they're lagging behind Europe. It it sounds like what you're saying in Australia. Yeah, I, I think. It, um, I think you saw that at the last World Cup. Um, you know, the, the African nations really struggled. I think only one of them, Nigeria, if I remember correctly, made the knockout round. Um, and they, it's just, you know, that just has not been uh, a point of emphasis in some of these com- uh, African f- confederations. You know, there's definitely talent there, and, and they've showed it. But I think they just, you know, they they come into these tournaments and they're very, I'm going to say naive. They're just inexperienced when it comes to some of these big-time tournaments. So, um we don't see a but lot of the African But you players. also didn't. You also, I mean, because you also didn't mention like the Mexicos or any of the Caribbean uh, right. uh, countries either, as well. Yeah. Um, well, and again, I mean, there hasn't been. You know, Mexico really has not. You know, shown much um, over the last few years. Um, you know, certainly not. You know, Jamaica's. You know, they were. Everybody was happy that they actually made the World Cup because it was such a surprise that they got there. Um, I think the team that has really kind of stagnated when you're talking about the teams in, in, outside of Europe is Brazil. Um, mm. They haven't. You know, they they really in the you know late 
2000s and early 2010s, you know, you looked at Brazil, you know, they had Marta, they had Flavia, they had some other players that were, you know, some, you know, really big time talents, but they really haven't, you know, taken that next step. And I think that if there's any team coming out of the Americas that's not the United States or Canada, that's really can can really, you know, make a push back into that elite conversation it would be brazil you know but they haven't uh they, they haven't really stepped up like i think everybody expected them to i mean when you, mm. have, you have someone like you have someone like marta you know you can't just rely on someone like that you know because i'm surprised that she's even still playing with the national team but she you know she's still good and she just still loves to represent brazil um but you know her prime is past you know um and and i think it's really and it, it really dependent on some of these other players um, that you know really need to step up. You know when I talked about you know when she went on this, uh, you know she she spoke about you know we need this commitment you know from you know to to help our team, but it's also got to come from these other players. I mean she said you know I I you know this, I can't play any more World Cups. You know she. Uh, pointing out a couple of other players that have been playing for, you know, for Brazil for a long time. You know, we can't keep playing World Cups. It's time for everybody else to step up, and she meant some of the players as well. If you had a weakness with the United States, and I know, like you said, you just don't see them, uh, and I, everybody, you're right, everybody, we even talked about it on the air about France and and how they had, an, uh, and all the all the back and forth on social media between the two, uh, teams were going on in that match, but if you see any weakness with this United States team, uh, what would it be? Uh, you know, I've always thought that. I mean, and they have good defenders, especially in the in the form of Crystal Dunn, who has the ability to. I mean, that sister just shuts down people on, on that wing. But I think if you get a team that can consistently get out that back line, you know, if you get past the midfield and get a team that consistently gets out that back line, I think they may, that's where you can really, really start to see some problems for, for the United States. But the midfield is so good, you know, they recoup the ball very quickly, you know, and then they're able to possess the ball. But getting in between that, into that final third, getting past the United States midfield and really getting out the defense on a consistent basis. I don't know how tested they are because we haven't mm. really seen it, you know, because it doesn't happen very often. But right. I think teams that that have that possess, you know, able to play that possession as France did, really get at the United States um, and, and and really commit players forward because you know teams are really afraid to commit players forward against the United States because they you know they're skillful, you know they're smart, they know how to get you know break out of pressure, you know get the ball down the field, um, and so it, it's. You know, it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you don't want to overcommit, but if you don't commit enough, you know, you're not going to really be able to get at that back line. And and so, you know, it, it's really going to be in uh, any team that really wants to challenge the, the women's national team. They got to get past that midfield. They really have got to commit players forward and just go for broke and 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 really start peppering the United States back line with with, with you know with sustained pressure. Yeah, putting the pressure on that. But you're right about Chris Dunn. I mean, she be balling out, man. So um, uh, she's, she's it, flawless. She's a flawless player. I mean, and she, you know, she started off her career as a as an attacker. You know, she played forward. You know, and then they moved to the back line, and she's like, okay, I'm just going to shut everybody down. You know what she did to Marjorie uh, for France of last. You know, that was the match I was looking for um, in that uh, in that that quarterfinal matchup in the last World right. Cup. And, and, you know, Crystal Dunn did the business, you know, and, and she always does. You know, she has been so consistent. And she's still got 27 goals for the national team. So that's how mm. good she is. So. 
so athletic and good that, that as she is, like you said, this team is just loaded. And that's the final question with them. Uh, it, one of the hardest things, and you mentioned like um, the Olympics, and you you think back about the uh, the dream team. Who do you pick? Like they have to have what eighteen people on the squad for the Olympics out of twenty five. Yeah, twenty. Yeah. So it's I mean you have you have uh, multiple time World Cup winners at at goal. I mean at every position. So you know who do you pick and how do you pick you know this dream team to go to the Olympics. You know, you you pick who's doing the business in practice. And as I said, it starts with, you know, putting on that practice jersey and getting after it. You know, people can get dropped, you know, because for form, you know, for form or people are not, you know, performing in the way that they should, you know, and, and you know, it's incumbent on, you know, some of the new cars to come in and push these veterans and say, hey, look, I'm coming for your spot, you know. Yeah, we're all on the same team, but I want your spot. You know, I'm going to get after it. And so when you when you have a deep pool like that, it's you know, as the United States women's team has had for quite a long time, it's you know, it's it's what they say, it's a blessing and a curse because you know you want to have that type of talent that you can rely upon, and you have to be able to um, you know make those hard decisions. You know, and and you know somebody's ego is going to get hurt. You know, Carly Lloyd, she stated at you know the, this last World Cup was one of the you know worst of experiences because she didn't play very much. Mm. You know, you had, you know, she had Rimponi, you had Kristen Press, you had, you know, Tobin Heath, you know, you had Alex Morgan. They were all doing the business and Lloyd did not get the amount of playing time that, you know, this is a former world player of the year. He right. scored a hat trick in the in the final against Japan in 2015. So she got very little playing time in that 2019 World Cup. She's getting a little more time now. Um, and because I think the coach wants to, you know, see, you know, what, what, you know, what she still has left. Um, so, you know, you have that abundance of, abundance of riches, you know, it's, that's, again, this is why they get paid to make these decisions it's, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think every coach would like to have it, but then the pressure of making the right decision and then trying to handle the egos, you know, how to, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm still going to need you. You need to be ready. You know, I think that's, you know, that that's the challenge for every, whatever, you know, whatever uh, country you're coaching, that is, you know, whether you're a top team or you're just a, you know, an average team, you know, that's still the challenge for all of these national team coaches. And, you know, even more so when the spotlights turned out, uh, turned up on great teams like the United States and France and things like that. Yeah, you got, you know, Megan's been doing it and like you mentioned Kristen Press and Alex Morgan. They're all, I mean, they, they, they're getting the playing time, like you said, and, and she can't get on the field that that's, that's yeah. been unfortunately, but that's, that's like you said, and I, I think it, it comes down to remember Chuck Daly and, and even uh, Coach K, when they, they mesh, you all, you're not always going to get the ones who score the most. You have to think about the team and how it mesh. I would think it would be the same thing, Andrew, in, in soccer. You you may have some that could really, um, you know, put the, 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 the ball in the goal. And that obviously, like you said, with soccer, that's the ultimate thing. But you do want to make sure you have good uh, defenders and you want to have good – goalkeeping and, and, and midfielders that mesh to this team so they actually win. 
Well, look at how Carmelo Anthony was used in the 2008 and 2002, uh, 2012 Olympics. This is a guy that, you know, you know I always got to criticize him because he always has to have the ball in his hand. You know, when he when he played with Denver, when he went to New York, the guy always had he's one of those ball dominant guys. You know, he always had to you know, he always had to have the ball in his hand. But you look at the two thousand eight, he was, you know, while everybody else was trying to match up with Kobe and LeBron and everything else, he was just roaming around, getting free and dropping three pointers on everybody. You know? Right. So again, you have to figure out how to use everybody in the best possible way. You know, and 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 so you know he would bring Carm, you know they brought Carmelo off the bench, Coach K did, and just you know he just rained threes on people, you know. And so it was just, and that was, and that really wasn't part of his game, you know. That really was, he was not a stand stand still shooter, but he developed into one, you know, for the Olympic team. You know, he obviously could do it, but you know that's not something that he was known for. And so again, when you're trying to bring in uh, all these different players who are playing different systems, you want to get the best out of them. You want to use what not just their skills but you know what they specialize in what they're best at put them in those positions to succeed so that they can you know help make the team you know a more cohesive unit and a unit that's going to be successful and and so you know that that's again that's why these coaches get paid the big bucks and i think too uh with soccer especially um you're looking at the the landscape you're looking at you know your your matchups of who you're going to be facing. So you definitely right. want to kind of look at it long-term. So you want to Absolutely. make sure you have the right players uh, to match up. You you mentioned Carmelo Anthony. I know you're, um, you're uh, an expert uh, in the, in the NBA as well. Um, you, you know, I'm a big Sixer fan and, you know, we won, we go back to Atlanta, Atlanta got an injury and, you know, indeed he's been playing lights out even with an MCL um, injury, um, but you look at the East. Brooklyn looks really dominant. They're gonna try try to go up three zero, and then out west, uh, look Chris Paul going anywhere. It, he just makes this team better. Phoenix looks really good. We'll see what Utah and the Clippers look like. But um, who you have coming out of the East, and who who you have coming out of the West? I want to see what Phoenix does when they're playing against a team that's not banged up. You got to remember, Jamal Murray is not playing for Denver. Right. And they, they miss him, you know, they, they truly miss him, you know, and so, you know, they've, they've gotten a 2-0 lead, you know, it's not totally unexpected, but, you know, the ease of which they did in the last mat, at last game, I think was, was kind of surprising, but you got to remember who Denver is missing, you know, Jokic can't do it all himself, you know, right. um, you know, and, and you're, 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 what's the, the, the new kid out of Missouri, whose name I can't remember, um, but um you know he's been playing. He's been playing well, but you know Jamal Murray's already proven himself what what he can do in the playoffs. You know, especially with that run that they had last year. So oh I want to see what God, Phoenix does. See. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to see what Phoenix does. You know, if they get through this as it looks like they are, what they're going to do against a team. You know that. You know, against a complete team like Utah or, or a pretty complete team. You know, against the. You know, like the Clippers. Um, you know, if I'm, I'm very, very disappointed at how Milwaukee's playing right now. Um, you know, they get not surprised, not surprised. You yeah. probably, I guess, you shouldn't be you know, over the last few years because you get to, you know, they get deep in the playoffs and then they start having problems. But you remember what Brooklyn is doing? They have been dominant in two games, and James Harden has been dressed like I am. You know, just just sitting on the bench. 
Okay, so he has not gotten off the bench because of injury, and Brooklyn has been dominant. So it, you know, I've seen uh, I'm you know watching the scores right now. Looks like they've jumped out to a quick 11-4 lead here in the first quarter, um, but. You know, it, this is really, uh, you know, this is really a pride game for Milwaukee right now. They got to win this, and um, and, and they got to win it handily tonight to give themselves the belief that they can actually get, you know, something out of this. Um, overall matchups, I, 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 you know, I worry about Utah. They're a jump shooting team. I mean, they, you know, they get to the, they can get in, uh, they get to the line, they can attack, but they're primarily a jump shooting team. You know, they they led the league in three point. Uh, percentage for a reason you know they're just that good I just wonder what happens if they start getting cold you know um, and then they have to start grinding you know grinding games out you know are they gonna are they really equipped for that and this is new territory for this particular you know group of, uh, of players for the Utah Jazz you know to get this far um, with these heavy expectations so um, you know they're still you know they're still the favorite to come out um, I still think that you know they can you know and I really I'm looking forward to this Philadelphia uh, Brooklyn series I mean I think that's just going to be a, a drag out seven game series with you know players going back and forth um, you know I, I've really been impressed with Tobias Harris for Philadelphia I think he's been a, a real key you know you, you know Simmons and and uh, MB get all of the headlines but Tobias Harris has been played really really well for Philadelphia, so I, I really think that you know this is going to be some kind of you know especially if it, I mean I'm assuming that Harden gets back, um, this is going to be really one of those series for the ages. I, so uh, you're assuming I, I guess we're assuming that uh, Trey Young and those guys won't beat Philly. Philly's going to go on to play um, Brooklyn. Interesting enough, um, Andrew, you mentioned Utah being a jump shooting team. I let you go. Um, this year and in the last couple of years, but specifically this year, if you look at the teams that are left, they're very good for the three-point line. Brooklyn has been killing Milwaukee outside, um, you know, kicking it in. And, you know, if it's not Durant, it's Kyrie or someone knocking it out from the outside. The Clippers made their way back into the Dallas series by hitting threes. Remember, Dallas was hit the threes early. Triples came back. They win the series. You see what Phoenix is doing. Um, the only team maybe that doesn't do it is Philly, and they're a defensive team. And like you said, Tobias Harris. But it's been really surprising. And I think if, 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 if these, these teams that continue to be successful shooting the three-pointers, we may see a new way of how teams win in the playoffs and not, not just the matchups in the half court but just relying on knocking down trees and do, and doing a really good job. Against Dallas, like game three, they had the Clippers on the ropes. They made 23-pointers and lost, but they still made the, the three. So I just thought that was very interesting. When I look at the teams that are left outside of, say, the Sixers, maybe Milwaukee, the, most of the other teams like to shoot the three and are very good at it, and they're winning games. Yeah, but it's also how you run your offense to get those threes. It's not like, you know, you know, Dallas got cold because you know, LA started, you know, they, they were really kind of tightening up their defense. You know, right. it's one thing if you're getting open looks. Durant and Irving, uh, Kyrie Irving, they're getting open looks. You know, um, yes, they can create their own. They can create their own. Um, uh, they can create their own shot. Yeah. You know, right. but, you know, but those guys are getting people are getting open looks. 
You know, and, and when you're getting open looks, especially against Milwaukee, if you're getting open looks like that, you know that that you know the three point is shot is no longer a novelty like it was when we were coming up. You know, in the you know 70s and 80s. You know, it's, it's not a you're expected to be able to knock down a 23, 24-foot jump shot at this point, you know, if you're a guard in the, in the NBA. So, or if you've got any kind of perimeter game, you're, you're expected to be able to knock those shots down. So if you're getting those open looks and if you're running your offense so that you can get those kind of, you know, not as contested looks so that you have a legit shot of making dropping these three-pointers, you know, that's, you know, that that's what makes it successful. Now, as I'm saying, is Utah going to be able to do that? Because the Clippers can grind the game out, you right. know, and you still have – they're still a very decent defensive defensive side, you know, especially when you got, you know, Kawhi Leonard, you know, anchoring the defense. Um, so it, it's – I think, you know, I stand by what I said. I want to see if, you know, when it gets tight, is Utah still knocking all these shots down, you know, and, and I think it's, you know, you got Donovan Mitchell. He can create his own shot. He can be aggressive when he needs to be, you know, and he does it very well. Um, but is Utah be able to ma- still maintain that type of shooting, you know, um, if it if it tightens up? That's what I want to see, you know. Right. I still think, you know, they, they they I still think they can come out the come out of the West. I really do. Um, but uh, and I think they've got an easier path than either say you know Philadelphia or, or Brooklyn, you know, because those two are just going to really get after it. I think in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and I Again, think assuming that, uh, Atlanta does not does not right. be a surprise. And I I I, I do think the the eventual champions, in my opinion, would be Brooklyn or or uh, Philly, just because of this the style of play and talent and and all of those things. It, it's a uh, final question: Is Kevin Durant the best offensive player right now in the game? At least, maybe not the best all around player, but the best offensive player. To be able, you got to remember how tall he is. He is what six ten, six eleven. Yeah. To move the way he does, and this and he's coming off. He's coming off an Achilles tear, all right? I've had one of those. I know what that's like, okay? Right, me too. He's coming off an Achilles tear, and he is crossing over Giannis like it's nothing and pulling up in his face. The way he moves, the way he shoots, um, you know, it's really something special. Um, And I remember when he kind of announced himself at the 2010 World Championships, the FIBA World Championships in uh, 2010, when he really kind of took a next level. I said, ooh, he's he's about to be something special, and he has just taken off from there, you know, 11 years later. Um, You know, he's really – I mean, you know, you're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer right right there. Um, and, you know, when he's on his game, I mean, there really isn't anybody that can stop him, um, nobody in the league. And, and he's just been – it's just been something to watch him. You know, one thing – you know what I love going back and watching? Go back and watch on YouTube when he showed up at the Rutgers at, – at the Rutgers Park in Harlem when he dropped like a whole bunch of three-pointers at the end of the game. You know, that type of that type of thing, you know, for someone seven feet to be doing that, you know, and when we were coming up, seven feet was, you know, Steve Mix, you know, was <laughs> Rovi. Oh my God, going back in you time. Know, was, you know, was you know those type of guys, you know, Daryl Dawkins, you know that that that's what we grew up on as six ten, six eleven. And so when you had, you know, you had people like Bird at 6'9", shooting the way he did, Magic at 6'9", running the point the way he did, it kind of, you know, 
you know, you're seeing the neck, you're seeing, you know, the continuation of that evolution that started with those guys, you know, and, yeah. and you know, the, when you, you see what he does, um, I mean, you know, Luca's like, you know, six, he got to be like a legit six, seven, six, eight, six, nine himself. You know? yeah. so, right. it, it's just, but the, the watch what Durant is doing right now, um, it continues to do year in, year out. You know, it, it's, it, it's really, really something special. I hope people really appreciate, you know, how great a player he is. I think I I do, and I, I hope he if they do play Philly that he gets a a case of the missed um, <laughs> shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least him. I mean, because you know Kyrie's gonna do whatever, but I, I it just Kevin is just he's on another level right now. He's just so Indeed. unstoppable right now, um, and so they play him. They they definitely have their hands full with him. So. We'll see. Um, Andrew, it's always a pleasure, man. We have to do this more. As a matter of fact, let's let's uh, get you on and talk about some of the leagues, the soccer leagues, and get some uh, uh, some conversation on that. And we'll talk some more NBA with you, too, um, um, no when doubt. you have the time. Hey, hey, no, man, hey, but- you know- and there's a lot of soccer going on. You know, we got the Gold Cup, as I mentioned, but Euro 2020, well, the 21, uh, is starting up uh, this weekend, as well as Copa America, which is South American Championships. There is plenty of soccer on. So if you want an introduction to the game, if you want to see some of the great players, um, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about that. Um, I'm telling you, there's a lot of soccer to be watched over the summer. And so it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be uh, you know, a great summer of soccer. So I hope people get a chance to, ch- uh, to check some of it out. Yeah, we 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 actually me and the kids plan on doing some of that, getting around, and uh, my son's playing AAU, so it's gonna kind of fall into place in some of the places. But um, as always, my friend, thank you. Um, uh, glad you and your family are good, and uh, let's get you on again. I, I will be emailing you uh, off air, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate you. All right, Andrew Dixon. Always good to have him on. On the Bachelor News Radio Show, on the Bachelor News Radio uh, Network, uh, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Big Mind Entertainment, IBM TV. Don't forget, if you missed any part of any of our broadcasts, uh, you can go to the thebachelornews.airtime.pro, uh, thebachelornewsairtime.pro. Follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation 2, that's the Pad Nation number 2, at Twitter, LA Bachelor on Instagram, on YouTube. And you can email me with your questions, comments, if you have a topic that you want on the air at labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor40 at gmail.com. Well, listen, Chubby, anytime more Chubbantan come, party boy, I get up and run, I gunshot me head back. You tell him no crow. It's like boom, bye, bye, in a body boy head. Who boy not promote no nasty man, them are fit dead. Boom, bye, bye, in a body boy head. Who boy not promote no nasty man, them are fit dead. Woman, eat your partner, who go partner, you don't in a bed. Go pan on it and I feel no blade. Send for the matic and the hoodie instead. Shoot them now, come here with shot them. Do a one jockey, give them pal instead. Them throw one this fitness between the legs. Y'all bend down back away and accept the peg. And if it really at you, know she still now go fled. And some man still no on the panty red. Fear body business, them love. They say boom, bye, bye, in a body boy. Hey. Why not promote the nasty man, them are feeding? Boom, bye, bye, in 
boy is Who boy now promote no nasty man, them a fi day Oh man is the greatest thing God ever put on the land Put your love on the from and down to foot bottom But some man a turn around, where them get that slam Peter is not for Janet, Peter is for Jan Suzette is not for Paul, Suzette is for Anne Where the mama clad, them get that slam Here come the DJ name, but your band and comfy Shake me a data, boom, boom Bye bye in a body boy eh. Who I not promote no nasty man them a fi do. Boom bye bye in a body boy eh. Who I not promote no body man them a fi do. Tommy said this is not a bargain. Me said this is not a deal. I come near with any skin must feel. Burn him up bad like a old tire wheel. Bam bout your bands and your top. He said boom bye bye in a body boy eh. Who I not promote no body man them a fi do. I promote nobody, but here I know. Two man, I'll go find a key, so finally don't need a bed. I'll go find a nether and a rope down lead. Send for the matic and the Uzi instead. Show the body boy, come here, we shot them. Them do one back, he give them pass instead. No one, the pum pum, between pass in Lego. All them want is the body from Fred. But this is Mojo Bant and me say, me say, boom, bye, bye, in a body boy. Why not promote no nasty man, them a fiddle Boom, bye, bye, in a body boy eh. Why not promote no nasty man, them a fiddle That woman is the prettiest thing God ever put on the line Put on the line Put, put on the line But some man a turn around Where them get that from Peace is not for Janet Peace is for Jan Suzette is not for Paul Suzette is for Anne Here come the DJ name But your band and comfy Satisfaction Happy and you love it to feel You're just boom bye bye In a body boy eh. You better not promote no body man Them a feed it I want the world 
Excuse me. Y'all never know what I'm saying. Rock them up in Jack and even come to flash it to you. Oh, flummy. You put your face on back and rock that. Then the kind of living town hold that. Flummy. You put your face on back and rock that. Then the kind of living town hold that. Then tell your pretty.
1990. Chump Rock jumps up on the scene with a lean and a pocket full of green. The green doesn't symbolize I made it on the top, but RoboCop last year was a shock. The tone of the pop-like touch shook your butt. Kids are screaming, the media says what? Kind of music is this for you to dance to? The man with the plan and the band demands you. Leave the smack and the crack, for the whack, for the ball and the knock, keep a smile like that. Leave the knife and the gun in the store and ignore temptation set by the nation. Racial game cause it's pain, he's a new rep. In your hearts and mind, never forget to set. Hawkins, and when you walk in, you know what you're squatting. Black on black, remember that, it's important. Anyway, the shunless one brings forth the fun. No hatred, the summer's almost done. No time for sleep. Jump in your Jeep and pump up the funky beat. A holy beaver goes off, yo, smash it, then trash it. You're too young to be plumped in a casket. Just get your boys and bring the noise and just swing it. Your party people, swing it.
pass out doing that.
Mm-hmm.